This morning we will continue on as has been mentioned and prayed for through the book of Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. As we make our way, we'll be covering the chapter in its entirety this morning. <clears throat> as you're turning there, just want to walk through a different, few different quotes that might sound familiar to you. In Article 2, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, it gives these words. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Our military gives these words. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I'll bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulations and uniform code of military justice, so help me God. Our courts give these words. Uh, in fact, I, after years waiting, finally got to say these words as a juror. Do you solemnly swear that you will, you will uh, uh, weigh and truly try this case and render true verdict based upon the evidence of the law? If so, please say I do. Microsoft gives these words. By using the software, you accept these terms. If you don't accept them, do not use the software. As described, installation of use of the software also operates as your consent to the transmission of certain standard computer information during validation, automatic download, and installation of certain updates, and for internet-based services. If you comply with these license terms, you have the rights below, and I will not continue reading that one. I've stated before in the past that I think sometimes our culture has a commitment phobia. Uh, people ha struggle to make commitments that we don't like to commit to things, and I think I'm wrong. I think I've been wrong the whole time, but that's not true. I, I don't think our culture has a commitment phobia at all. If you've ever installed new software, uh, got a new phone, you, you very easily commit to things. You committed to it. So I don't think we actually have a commitment problem in our culture. I think we have a commitment to the right thing problem. Is it wrong for the president to commit to solemnly swear to fulfill the office of president? Absolutely not. No, we, we benefit from that as a country, that a president will commit to do, to, to say what they were gonna do and, and to uphold that. Is it wrong for the military to make commitments? Absolutely not. It's really encouraging, actually, as a citizen, that they're committed to the task of defending our country. And, and for courts and even marriage ceremonies, they're both very important. So don't, don't take this as if I'm putting down these commitments. I'm not by any stretch. But if we're honest this morning with ourselves, we make commitments all the time. We are not commitment phobes. But many have misplaced commitments, or perhaps not misplaced, perhaps just missing commitments. You know, as we've walked through the book of Nehemiah, we have seen the people grow under the leadership of, of Nehemiah in the word of God as it's read and as it explained for the people. And now we come to chapter 10 and we see that God's people will recommit themselves to him and to his word. It's not enough for them to say that they were sorry to God for their sin, they needed to express their sincerity to serve the Lord through commitment. 
Remember, repentance includes both a turning from sin and a turning to God. And the people here will make a covenant, a commitment. And I think we can learn from that this morning. So here's the main idea. Commitment to God is the chief responsibility of Christians. Commitment to God is the chief responsibility of Christians. And what we'll see here in chapter 10 is that God's people will realign themselves with God and his law as they covenant together as people to walk towards God and to observe his law and his commandments for them. And the most basic stipulation of of Nehemiah in this covenant is that the people promise to obey God's word, what God has already given them through the law. So there's three points as we walk through this. Committing to God through marriage, as we will see. Committing to God through rest. And committing to God through giving. Some of you already have asked if I'm going to pronounce the first 27 verses in the names. But I think that's just better suited for you over lunch, okay? We'll have a potluck and you can get up here and you can tell me how they're pronounced. I'm not going to do that. Um, Sorry if that disappoints you. But in the first 27 verses is really the list of those who have signed this covenant. This is, and, and, and if you look at the verse, and if you look at just verse 1, on the seals of the names of Nehemiah, the governor. So right off the bat, we see the first person listed is Nehemiah. Friends, this is what leaders do. They commit first before the people that they lead. This is what leadership looks like. It, it means you stand in the front. You stand up ready to sacrifice, putting your name on the dotted line. And time and time again through this book, this is what we've seen through Nehemiah. He's displayed for us what leadership looks like. He leads the people by being an example of what commitment looks like unto the Lord. And covenants need to be signed in order to take effect. If you've ever been to a marriage ceremony, the, the, the couple stands before the witnesses, right, and makes the commitment. And do you know what, what they do afterwards? They go usually back to the back room with the officiant and they sign. They sign that covenant. They seal it. After the public vows have been taken, they confirm it with their signature. And so this is what we're seeing here in these verses. So just real basic, the, the, who's listed here? The, the signers were Israel's priests. There's 21, 21 of those listed. Then 17 Levites are listed in their commitment. And last of the 44 listed of the nobles of the family of Israel. And these names are, are meant to represent the people as a whole. They're standing up, committing themselves to God. And they join together with one another in this. This is a community of God's people. They don't just see themselves as having only an individualistic relationship with God, although that's true. No, they're God's people gathered together, committing together, and they join and sign this uh, covenant again, stipulating what they're going to do in their obedience to God. Covenant agreements in the ancient world were, would routinely include blessings for keeping the covenant and curses for breaking it. And this covenant is a covenant of, of obedience. But I want to be clear, this is not a covenant of works that they're stating here. They're not saying we will do our very best to earn our, uh, your favor toward us, God. No, this is simply, as we've walked through this, this chapter, this is a response of what they've experienced from God. They have seen how God has, has treated them in response 
and, and how he's just uh, provided for them. We look through that in chapter 9. And so chapter 10 is a response in that. They're not just saying, well, I'm gonna, we're going to commit this way, and we're going to covenant God so that you, you can save us. No, this is, this is a response to what God has done. And, and the same is true for us as Christians. God's goal is always to bring his children into fellowship of a local body of believers seeking to obey God together. That means you cannot say, I love God, but I hate God's people. It's, it's just not possible. It's an oxymoron. And furthermore, we shouldn't look to benefit from a church family without being committed to that church family. Commitment to God is the chief responsibility of Christians, and it's best seen done with others. And so we're going to walk through this here this morning. The first one we're going to see in the stipulation for their covenant is committing to God through marriage. So jump down, chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So when we come to verse 28, you see right off the bat, we see this not just a select group, it's, it's really all those, the rest of the people as well, who are making this commitment together. So, and, and it really stipulates that if you're old enough to understand the words that are spoken, you are part of this committed covenant. You are committing along with mom and dad. And verse 29 states that the terms of this covenant are the same terms that Israel received at Sinai. This isn't a new covenant of something they haven't done before, but a rehashing, a rededication of the terms that God had already set up. And as we'll see, there's a couple different distinguishing marks that they have failed in. And, and, and really, the specifics is, is one regarding marriage in verse 30. It says, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So this is an issue that he's bringing up, the people are bringing up, of intermarriage. And this has plagued the people of God for some time up to this point. And, and so just off the bat, you need to understand this is not an issue with race. Okay, This is not talking about interracial marriages as sinful. That's not what he's saying here. And, and if teachers hold to that, or if you ever listen to that, or, or pop on the TV or read books, friends, that is a wicked lie. It is not true. Now, this is an issue of holiness, is what he's talking about. It's a religious issue, okay? It's not a racial issue. This is a religious issue. God forbade intermarriage here simply because of religious reasons. Marrying a Gentile, someone who didn't follow God, would open them up to worship their gods, which was expressly forbidden. And so he's essentially they're reaffirming what God has already said. They're, they are separating themselves from something to something. They are submitting themselves to God's word. This is what we see. And so applying that to us, Christians can marry across ethnic and, and uh, racial lines. This is not an issue. This shouldn't be an issue. This has been an issue in the church. And, in a, and probably in some areas of the country or in the world, it still is an issue. But you should marry a Christian. That's the, the prohibition here. Marrying unsaved people will skew your commitment to God. How can marriage be what God intended it to be 
for, for a man and a wife if they're not united in the most fundamental question. Who is God and how are we to submit to him? When Genesis says that the man and woman became one flesh, it's talking about the union of who they are together. So how can a man and a woman become one flesh if they disagree in the very most simple question of who God is and what God calls them to be? It, it, it won't work unless you're both committed to God and his word. And so if you're married today, friend, today is a day to renew your commitment to your marriage to display the love between Christ and the church in your marriage relationship. That's the picture that we have in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Christ dying for the church, giving himself for the church. And this is the picture of what marriage looks like today, friends. And so husbands, die to yourself. Do it every single day. Die to your wants and your selfishness. Die to your need to always be right. Put your wife first. Sacrifice for her. Listen to her. Be patient with her. Show her love just as Christ has shown us. Wives, humble yourselves. Follow your husband as he follows Jesus Christ and seeks to obey him and his word. Show love, show support to him as he desires to honor God in your marriage. Look to Christ for strength. And if you're single this morning, I will beat this drum again. Don't commit yourself to anyone who isn't already committed to Christ. Missionary dating is a lie. It is foolish. If Christians marry someone else who does not share their personal commitment to God, the future will be bleak, and there'll be regular tension and frustrations and unhappiness. And, and, and the one you seek to marry maybe at this point seems very tolerant because dating is used car sales. Do you understand that? It all looks great up front until you take it home. And so they may seem tolerant at first. They may seem like, yes, this is fine. You can worship God and go to church. I'm fine with that. But friends, that won't continue. If your loyalty is to Jesus Christ, you need to marry someone who is also loyal to Jesus Christ. Don't drop your biblical standard. Marry up. Marry someone who's following God. Marry someone who encourages you to follow after God. So that was the first commitment that the people made here regarding marriage. The second was committing to God through rest. Look at verse 31. And if the peoples of land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. The people here are committing to keep the Sabbath and to treat it according to the original intent, which was to keep it holy, a day set aside for the Lord. This was a day, the Sabbath was a day to honor the Lord. And it was set aside, separate than the other days, and given to God so that his people could worship him. 
And so now that the people are back in Jerusalem and, and, and through the exile, they needed to be reminded and committed to the importance of the Sabbath, of set aside that day. And there was this presence of foreign traders, which would open up essentially a, a loophole in the law because no one could argue that they were being put to work because they bought from them. But the people can see the tone and the spirit of the day and how it was being threatened, what Sabbath meant. And so they committed not to do that. They committed not to buy on those days. And for me, this shows, this should show for us, that their heart has been affected here. Not just their head. They recognize there's a loophole that they could have. They could go through, and it wouldn't be necessarily sin, but they recognize no, no, we're going to set this day aside fully, completely. It's not just the letter of the law they sought to obey, but the spirit of the law. And furthermore, they recognize it would be a unique badge to their neighbors that God is going to care for them. But this is simply not committing to a day. No, they're committing to walk by faith. That's what they're committing to. This is what was needed to not work. Because in, in that culture, to not work on a day meant you didn't earn any money that day. And in so doing, and so setting aside that day, they were essentially saying, friends, I'm going to trust God and trust in him alone that he will give me all that I need and that it won't decrease. See, God had committed long before that he would provide for them. But it requires faith to entrust ourselves to him. And and see, keeping the Sabbath was evidence of faith. It's not about a day. If you think Sabbath is just about Saturday and it's just these legalist laws, then you're rejecting the gospel. It's not. No, it was about entrusting yourself to God, to trust him. And, and forgiving debts, as it say in verse 31, that, well, that points us back, if you remember in, in Nehemiah, that they learned their lesson earlier of, of exacting interests and loans from people that were in dire cir- circumstances. And they're saying, essentially, we will not do that anymore. In fact, I, in fact we'll forgive debts. And, and to do that and to forgive what people owe you in this certain situation meant that you had to trust the Lord. If they were going to not pay you back what was, what was due, you were entrusting yourself again to God. That God is the one who will make me rich, so to say. God is the one who will supply all I need. And then even, as he says, that the rest of the land in the seventh year shows God is in control of this. And it's not my farming skills. But I'm going to trust myself to him. And so how do we apply this. I mean, some of us need to learn this lesson today. It's about resting in the Lord. Really, that's the lesson here. Some of you here this morning have been forced into this. I don't know the mind of the Lord, but God has forced you into resting in him, and he stripped away so many support so that you will rest in him. He sometimes does that with his children to open our eyes to recognize that all we need is him and that he will supply everything we need. The question is, are you paying attention to that? Are you recognizing that in your life? What could help us learn to rest in him? Could it be another day set aside for this very purpose? 
You know, the early believers transitioned to the Lord's Day, a day set aside to remember God and all that he's done for them. Sunday is the Lord's Day. See, Sunday, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. No amens on that one. Wow. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday we come in to remember again what Christ has done for us on the cross and that he rose from the grave. We don't just do that once a year with bunnies and Easter baskets, so I'm not dissing that. Every Sunday is this. And so that's what the Lord's Day is all about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that was set aside as a day to, to worship him and to rest. But the point always is faith, trusting in God to supply all that we need. So those who, who trust in Jesus Christ, trust in him completely. And coming to worship God on Sundays with the saints in Edgewood means, it shows, it displays that you're leaning on him, that you're trusting in him. You're foregoing the opportunity to climb up the corporate ladder on Sundays to trust in him. Because you see worship as, a, as an important thing part of your life. I mean, Chick-fil-A gets this, right? Are they suffering for funds? Somehow they continue to make more than every other restaurant. But the roots of that comes back to this. How about you? I know I'm stepping into some possibly dangerous waters here. It's okay. You can email me this week. But possibly, you might need to look for a new job. If your job requires that, or what is the day you set aside to rest? I mean, there is no legalistic law, but what is the day you set aside to rest? If, you're, if your life is centered around just working, 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 and fear that you won't have enough, for retirement or for the home or for the cars. Friends, this is what he's teaching you today, to rest in him. See, it takes discipline to remind ourselves that our job is not to commit ourselves to, to God to do all the work we can to earn something for him, but to entrust ourselves that he's going to supply everything we need and not to sneak up on that and say, God, you haven't done enough. If I only work just a little bit more, if I only spend more time on this project, then it'll just turn out just right. No, it takes faith to step away and to rest and trust in God. And so what areas are you being tested in this right now? How is God teaching you to trust in him more? And furthermore, how can other Christians in this room help you in that situation? See, that requires you to build relationships with other people. It means you, you can't continue to come on Sundays and just scoot out without talking to anyone. This is not an event. I know you guys have heard me say that for years now. This is not an event. This is a family gathering where we gather together. So that means that we need to entrust ourselves to others even, to build relationships with others, to open up ourselves to others to ask them, just pray for me. I'm struggling in this area. And then to pray for others. You need to think through that, friends.
So we've seen two things here so far. They've, they've committed to God through, through marriage and what they decide to, to do for their kids going forward and, and through rest. And the last commitment is through giving. This last section of, is the people's commitment to support the work of ministry at the temple. So look at verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God to the priests who minister in the house of our, of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as is written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and oil to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from the ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So after committing to, to be holy in their marriage pursuits and committing to trust God and, and that he would provide through, through times of rest, they now commit to support the work of ministry. And the whole point of the Mosaic law in the temple was that these things enabled Israel to enjoy the presence of God. See, the temple was about the Lord. And after spending multiple days rehearsing the goodness of God, giving back to the temple ministry seemed pretty straightforward and expected. And and they make themselves personally responsible. As a group, they do this. But each person is personally responsible. You see it in verse 32, they obligate themselves. It says that multiple times throughout this section. So this was serious to them. They knew how the Lord had provided for them and they commit to give back generously to the ministry in the temple. Did you notice also the repetition of, of first, first fruits, firstborn, first? Essentially, they're committing to giving the best, to give them the very best of what they have. It means God is first in their heart and their mind when it comes to their resources that he has given them. And so the people's generosity here was simply a return to obedience to God's law. And so how do we apply this today? Well, there's no temple ministry to support. In the new covenant, we are the temple. There's no building. And so I I won't correct you, but when we say I'm going to church, it's not accurate. We're the church. We're going to go where we gather as the church. But we're the building. So, so being committed to the temple today is, being, is essentially committed to the, to the gathering of the church, the people of God. And to support the ministry of the church is to support the gospel ministry of the people of God. 
And so why should people, God's people today, give to the work of ministry in a local church? It's, it's to help resource the church to make sure the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in the local community and in the world. Our resources that God has given us go toward that proclamation of the gospel. That's the whole point. So at any point as a ministry, we want resources to just build fancy buildings for the sake of just us. We've missed the point. That's not the point. It's to proclaim the gospel. It is to get the gospel into Edgewood and the surrounding areas into the world. That's why we give to the ministry of the church. That's what we should be enthused about. That's what we should be looking for. Now, is there other things that we can do with our resources to help aid that? Absolutely. That's where wisdom comes in and patience and discussing that. But our main goal is we want people to hear the gospel, to believe in him and to repent and trust in him for life. Right? Amen? So what should we do with this chapter? You know, this is an interesting chapter for us to to take consideration of, of the people who who have been affected by God in chapter 9 and and seen who God is and how faithful he's been to them and then uh, recognizing their own sin. See, the people here don't just merely assent to a series of generalized statements. They committed themselves to specific actions that would characterize their lives and would essentially authenticate their witness to the world. This covenant, this commitment would radically change their lifestyle and affect their daily life. That's what they're saying, essentially. They they would be committed followers of God, and we should be that way too. We should respond that way. Again, we make commitments all the time. We probably do it so quickly we don't even recognize we're making commitments. But when you, make a, when you become a Christian, you have made a commitment to Christ. You've made a commitment to, to follow him. When you're baptized, you've made a commitment to Christ and to living for him and to sharing the gospel with others. When you commit to a local church, you've not only made a commitment to Christ, but you've made a commitment to other people. So it's a very important thing for us to recognize. When we bring in new members, it's not just things that we do. It's not like we have a book to Bible churches that say, thus shall you say this when you bring in new members and we gotta check it off the list. That's not what we're doing. We're actually very deliberate in this. We're, we're, we're essentially bringing to them to you to say they are committing themselves to you and as the membership, you're committing yourself to them. So it's, so it's very important then for you to, to get to know them to build a relationship with them. It's not a blasé thing. It means you care for them as they care for you. And so maybe today, um, what we need most isn't more freedom to do what we want with our lives, but more commitment to move closer to God and increasing our connection to him and to other Christians who will help you do that. Maybe that's what we really need. Maybe that's the commitment that's really missing in our lives. And friend, if you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. You would recognize 
who you are, that God has made you, that he is yours, and yet we've rebelled against him. We've chosen to live how we've wanted, and we've separated ourselves. We're in rebellion against him, but God in his love and in his grace sent Jesus Christ down to live and to die for us, to take on our sins, to die for those on the cross, and to rise again, defeating death so that we can have new life with him. And if you've never made that commitment to him, today is the day. I would encourage you, friends, to talk to, the, to someone that invited you. If, if you weren't invited, just talk to someone in the row, and they're probably smiling at this point because they've experienced this. And, and they would, I would love to talk to you, too, to walk through what it means to trust Christ and to live for him. And furthermore, the local church was given to help you then, Christian, with your commitment to God. This is why we talk about membership. This isn't just a hobby horse that we're just taking up. I know maybe some of you think that we're just, man, you talk about it a lot, Jeff. I'm not trying to fill a quota or anything. I'm trying to help us pursue Christ together. Because we know as leaders, this is the way in which we grow. As Christians, we do it together, committed together, committed to Christ, helping each other. And so when you become a member of this church, we, we ask you to commit together in a covenant. It's really a commitment. It's an agreement of some sort. And, and we ask you to, to do this because we're all doing it together. And we're making a promise, essentially, with one another to keep these commitments that God has made with us. So I want to end our time this morning by walking through our church covenant. We do this every member meeting. So if you've been here, you've heard this. But it's a good reminder. And just to let you know, when we walk through this, this isn't something extra biblical. We didn't write this covenant saying, we're going to take the Bible. Thanks a lot, God. You did well. You just didn't do enough. We're not saying that. All that you see as you walk through this is from the scriptures. So we're taking what what God's word has said to us, and we're saying we're committed to do that together. So listen with me as I walk through. I'll give a little bit of explanation as we walk through. It begins with the opening. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. And so at the beginning, our covenant opens up with a reminder of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And this is the basis of every commitment that we're gonna make in the Christian life. We're not pursuing these things in order to be saved, but we're pursuing these things because we are saved. And here's the first commitment. We will work and pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Do you recognize how important that is for a church family? You know, our, our, our statement just starts off right there. We're gonna to, to work towards this. And why is it work? Because we're fallen and people sin. Y'all, if you stop sinning, it'll make it a lot easier. Me too. We have to work at this because we continue to sin and to have peace. But the Spirit brings that work and brings it to fruition. The Holy Spirit indwelling us, God in us, helps us to bring about this peace. 
And then the second one, we will walk together in brotherly love as become the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. And that's saying we can't fight sin and walk in holiness alone. And we talk about this here. We mentioned it earlier. The Christian life is not meant to be done by yourself. This isn't a solo event. See, God in his mercy and grace gives us other Christians. And so when you commit to other Christians in a local church, you're committing to them and they're committing to you. And when they care, when we care for one another, sometimes we have to admonish. We have to say, how you're living isn't lining up with the gospel. And I care so much about you, I want to help you as you walk in obedience to what the gospel says, what the Bible says. Admonish does not mean you're a sinner, leave. If churches have done it in the past or if you've experienced that, I am sorry. But that's not what we're saying here. We want to walk with patience and love and grace as we help others follow Jesus and as they help us. The next commitment, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. This means we will be faithful to gather with the church. We will not be monthly or bi-monthly attenders. We will, we will come as the Lord gives us the grace and the strength to do so. And we will pray for one another. This is why we publish the member prayer directory. We give this to you as a tool to obey the commitment that we're making. It's a tool for, for members to follow through what we've said we're going to do. And then it says we will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example seek the salvation of our family and friends. And this is talking about ministry outside of here in the homes. No matter who lives with you, who, are, who lives around you, we will seek to be an example of Christ and talk about the gospel we will seek to, to bring that up regularly in conversation. And we desire that members talk about the gospel, talk about their own salvation with their family and friends. They'd be eager to share what Christ has done. In the next commitment, we will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. See, our relationships should be marked with a concern for other people, whether in rejoicing for them because they took a position in Hillsboro, or mourning with those that are suffering. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I'm kind of doing both. But that's what the Christian life looks like. And then the next commitment we will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world denying ungodliness and worldly lust and remembering that as we've been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. See, as a church gathered corporately on Sundays, we bear witness to the truth of the gospel, that it's true that God actually takes filthy, rotten sinners and saves them and makes them new. 
And we can sing about that every week. And so our corporate witness begins with proclamation, but it also continues on and we help each other to walk faithfully after God in holiness. See, friends, sin is deceitful. Sin loves to stay in the dark. And we need other Christians in our life to humbly and lovingly point us to the truth. In guarding one another from sin, we are preserving the witness of this church. If we are known as a church for public sin, our job as the church is to call for repentance. And so it would be unloving, it would be unloving of us to turn a blind eye towards someone's sin. This is why we have church discipline. It's to protect the gospel. And it's to help those that are caught in sin. Galatians talks about that. Being caught in sin as someone caught in a net. we, We love and care for them so much that we want to untangle them from the sin that has captivated them. The next commitment. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and spread the gospel through all nations. We are committing to this as a church in the gospel ministry here. And this happens primarily on Sunday mornings as we gather to hear the proclaiming of God's word and observe baptism and the Lord's Supper that we'll partake of this morning. But it also, this also happens as we scatter as members into the cities that we live. We take the gospel into workplaces and schools and neighborhoods. So do you hear the echoes of commitment that we read earlier about supporting the work of ministry? And not just the work of ministry, but the relief of the poor. One of the reasons we take up a benevolence offering every time we partake of the Lord's Supper is to give to those that are in need. So we seek to obey this. And then our last commitment. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant in the principles of God's word. And in that we're saying, if the Lord leads us to leave this congregation to move to South Carolina. We will seek as soon as possible, doesn't mean the first week, to find another local church there, to commit to them. It's, 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 it's essentially saying it's ingrained in us, of who we are as Christians, that we're just going to be connected to a local church. And so when we move on, that's what we're going to do, gather together with other churches, one local church, and commit to them and pray for them and give there. And then, the, and then the, commitment or the covenant ends with a benediction. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. And this is our desire. This is what we've laid out. And will we do this perfectly as a church? No, we won't. But we seek to do it together as a church family. And there's room for more, friends.
There's room for more to join in that. You know, it's our, it's our commitment also every month to partake of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that now. And this is an opportunity, if you're new to us, just let me give you a little bit of background. It's, this is a way for us to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. God's people take the Lord's Supper as a symbol of the ongoing commitment that we've made to Jesus Christ. The Lord gave his disciples this meal on the eve of his crucifixion, which was also the occasion of the Passover, the Jewish celebration remembering God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And they would celebrate this together in the Passover meal. And Jesus give, gives to them a new meal to remember a new and greater deliverance over sin and death. So listen to this passage here in Luke 24. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus speaking of a new covenant in his blood, Jesus has explicitly interpreted the meaning of life and death as fulfilling everything that God had promised throughout the prophets. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who dies in our place. And by taking the Lord's Supper, it reminds us to look back and remember Jesus' death, his body broken, his blood given for us. So this means that the Lord's Supper is for Christians. It's for those who have committed to Jesus Christ. And we need to remember this because we're very forgetful people. But we also look forward did you hear it in Jesus' words? Because Jesus looks forward. He said that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so we not only look back to what Christ has done, we look forward to that day when we'll drink of the vine with the Son of God. That's going to be a cool day. And we do this this morning as a committed group of Christians gathered together. So ushers, would you come now and, and serve our people as we read again of God's word? And let me pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that guides us and leads us. And we thank you now for the opportunity that we have to remember you, your body given for us, broken, your blood spilled to redeem us. We thank you for the salvation that we have and in Jesus. And may you be honored and glorified in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.